The Book of Daniel, a theology on how Christians should deal with government mandates. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are both pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome. Remind you to like, subscribe, and comment, and if you have any questions, just comment below. That's right. Brandon, what are we talking about today? The book of Daniel. Wow. Oh, it's a great book. It is. It is so good. Some of the most familiar stories in Scripture. Yep. You know, it's just such great devotional reading, so encouraging. And then the second half, which is like, what the heck is happening? Mm-hmm. Some of the craziest parts of Scripture. Yep. Yeah. And stuff you could study for your whole life. Yeah, very iconic things in this book. It's great. We got furnaces and... Lions dens. Sleepovers with lions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lots of lots of really good stuff in this book. Yep, it's great. So what's it, well, what's it about? Daniel. So Daniel is the last prophet, right? So we've covered the other four. Mm-hmm. And Daniel is about the kingdom of God and the power of God. Mm. So there's this sort of repeated refrain about how God rules over the kingdoms of men, right? Mm. How he establishes kings, he tears down kings. He's in control of it all. And it talks about how God's kingdom is going to be established in the end. So very... Very good book, and that those themes are brought out in a way that are so clear right. in this book. So, uh, and what better context for the kingdom of God to be established than when God's people are in exile? Mm-hmm. Daniel's life—it's you see the beginning of of the book. It says Daniel one one in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So it happens right. in the reign of Jehoiakim. Remember Kim before Chin. So Jehoiakim, the father of Jehoiachin, who's the last legitimate king, and then Zedekiah, who's the last sort of vassal king. So this is a raid on Jerusalem or a conquering of Jerusalem that's before the ultimate fall of Jerusalem. Hmm. So Babylon comes and conquers it. Back in those days, you would conquer things and you like, what do you do with it? You don't want to empty everyone out of it and then have and then bring them all back to your land and then have all these people to deal with. And you you just would take the best and the brightest. You would just take the wealth. Right. You wouldn't take everything. So they're like, okay, we'll let you do your thing, but now you got to submit to us. And of course, Israel keeps rebelling. So Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Azael, uh, Azariah, and Mishael, are all brought to Babylon in this first conquest, mm-hmm. and they are part of the royal family of Judah. Yeah, they're trained up, yeah. and they're yeah, they're young men. They're they're the cream of the crop, and so they're brought to Babylon for some good brainwashing. Mm. They're they're put in a government school. I don't think the brainwashing worked very well. No, it did not. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So, so uh, the book of Daniel is written half in Aramaic, half in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's yeah, unique. Why, why is that? Um, I don't know. No. There you go. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, probably because a lot of, you know, the context of being in Babylon, that would be the court language. Mm. That's kind of the speculation. But it is strange. Yeah. That he would use both, and it doesn't really line up. Like it starts in chapter two. Uh, or, yeah, I believe in chapter two when he's speaking in the court. But if if it was just because it was the court context, why doesn't it happen in chapter one right. when they're already in the Babylon? So I'm, I'm not totally sure, but uh, that's just the reality. And then it kind of ends. I forget which chapter it stops. But um, so we see the structure is really straightforward. And this is pretty much everyone agrees upon this structure. Mm-hmm. The first half is uh, <laughs> Daniel's stories, right. and the second half is Daniel's visions. Right. So Daniel and his friends' stories in the first half, and the second half is is visions of Daniel. So you could say, I guess, 
God's provision, chapters one through six, and Daniel's vision. Oh, oh <laughs> wow. Chapter seven and 12. Like um, it. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But I, you know, so basically it's uh, <laughs> narratives in the beginning, first half, and visions in the second half. Easy cool. way to think of it. Awesome. And the stories are very familiar. Like we said, they're, they're great stories. Mm-hmm. So should we jump in? Let's do it. Chapter There's one. Lots of cover. So chapter one, we see Daniel's faithfulness. So Daniel and his three friends, who we know better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian yeah. names. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, we, we don't call Daniel Belteshazzar. That was his. I, know. No. I don't know why we call... Anyway, <clears throat> maybe just because of how they're referred to in the story. But <laughs> um, So Daniel in this chapter is, as we said, he's, he's put, as a person in exile, he's put into the court of mm-hmm. the king of Babylon. And remember what Jeremiah said is when you go into exile, live in the city, bless it, work for it, right? Do good. And that's Daniel's gonna do that in his life. Right. He's going to be a minister under many kings, mm-hmm. spanning decades, and be one of the most influential history shaping people in the world. Yeah. For 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 two different empires and mm-hmm. several different kings. So Daniel is a very important person, right. as well as his friends. So we see them brought in. They're young men, according to the, the first couple of verses here. We see um, verse uh, verse four. They're referred to as youths. The you, I was thinking of like when I was old, it'd be like the youths, right? Or sorry, when I was young, the old people would refer to us as the youths. Uh, you young, you young people, are you youths? So that's why I think of this. The word young men probably refers to someone around 14, 15, 16, okay. somewhere in the teens. Right. So these are young men. They're brought in to be educated. Hmm. Um, it says they are youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. So these are people that are good looking, they're smart, they have everything that they need to be successful. They're the best of the best. Hmm. So Nebuchadnezzar takes these people, these young men, and he tries to assimilate them to his way of thinking. So he has them educated according to verse. Sounds like Four. sounds like discrimination and colonialization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's like all of human history. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So, verse four, he's he chooses them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So, the knowledge of Babylon is given to them. Mm-hmm. So they're brought in and educated in a certain way. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, this really is like when I think about this, this really is their college education, and the, <laughs> yeah. the parallels are pretty pretty <laughs> clear. I mean. Uh, Adulthood really began younger at that well, point than it does for us. There is a big difference. What's that? Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not paying for this education. Oh, yep. It's so socialism. Yeah. Much better. Anyway. Much superior to freedom. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so they're, but they're basically being taught, this is basically their higher education, mm-hmm. and it's really just indoctrination, which, if we're honest, a lot of college education today is indoctrination. I know I sound like a crazy person for saying that, but well, to just, deny that would be insane. Yeah, it's teaching. Yeah, sort of by definition. Almost. But it's you know it's clearly with an agenda with a religious yeah. fervor to it, all those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're given so they're given Babylon's knowledge. They're given Babylon's food. They're they're in verse five. It says they were um, assigned. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food and that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. So. They're given the, I mean, what the king ate and drank was the best of the best. Mm. So they're given the best food and they're given names of Babylon too. So all of this is a way to assimilate them, teach them, give them certain pleasures that are from Babylon. 
as well as give them names, shape their identity right. around Babylon. And these names are really interesting. Um, the, the name, so Daniel's name means God is judge, hmm. and he's given a Babylonian name, which is Belteshazzar. So, so Daniel's name ref- reflects who God is, who Yahweh is, and his new name, Belteshazzar, means Bel protected his life. Bel hmm. was the chief god in the Babylonian pantheon. Hmm. So Bel is the one who delivered him, is the idea. So he's, his, name is, his new name is heresy. <laughs> Same with Hananiah. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Yahweh is gracious, and it's changed to Shadrach, which means command of Aku, who was mm. one of the gods of their pantheon, or Mishael, which means who is what God is. Mm. I mean, his name is a question of who is as exalted and great as God is. His name becomes Meshach, who is what Aku is. Mm. So that's reversed ironically to, oh, there's no one greater than the god Aku. Mm. And then Azariah means the Lord helps, and that's substituted with Abednego, servant of Nebo, so all of these all of these names are reflective of the gods that they're now supposed to worship. Right. So Babylon is speaking into who they are, um, what they should desire, and what knowledge they should have. It's it's an attack on the entire person. Right. And and this is what we go through all the time as believers in exile, right? right. In a world that we don't belong in. So it this is so instructive as to how we can we can respond to that right, because yeah. Daniel and his friends have every reason to capitulate, to give in, to just be part of the system. Yeah, They don't have, I mean, it, it appears God has abandoned them. They're far from their land. They have no way to practice their religion and to go to the temple and all these things. They don't even have family there that we know of, right? They're removed from their family context at least. So they're, they don't have a reason to stick with their people. Right. And yet they decide to make a resolution. Right. So verse eight, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Yeah. Now, when we hear that, it's easy to think, oh, Daniel is going gluten-free, right? He's trying a new fad diet. This is what we all do. And maybe this is like a biblical diet and we should all eat vegetables and water. Yeah. Um, and I have heard that. I'm doing the Daniel diet, which is not like heretical. I mean, it it's just that's not the point of this. The The reason why he didn't want to defile himself was because not because he wanted to lose weight. In fact, he wanted the opposite. He wanted to gain weight. Um, but he, it's because he didn't want to defile himself ceremonially. Yeah. Right? In fact, then it's like getting fat and you know chunky was better than being skinny. So the, these, these foods would have been prepared in a way that was not in accordance with Mosaic law. Mm. And so he didn't want to defile himself, so he decided to abstain from it. And it was a picture of his devotion to God in other realms as well, mm-hmm. that he was still worshiping God and following God. And I love that he has his friends with him in doing this. Right. They all do it together. So he goes to the, the eunuch that's in charge, and the eunuch doesn't want to do this because he's going to have to go before the king at the end of this period and the king's going to examine him and if he's all skinny because he's been eating you know carrots and he's turned orange that's not going to be helpful yeah, and he's going to yeah he's no. going to lose his job or whatever yeah. and so he gives them a test period right verse 9 says God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs and so he al- he allows them to do this he tests it out and sees that this will actually work and then the result is shocking Verse 15, this is this, so this is why this is not a fad diet, right? At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So you got fatter eating vegetables, 
which would be the opposite of the intention. So not, not a good point, diet strategy. Point proven. But, yeah. but, the, but again, this is what they wanted. They wanted to be healthy and, and fatter in flesh. I, I think so. I actually want to go on the Daniel diet. Yeah. Yeah. Put on yeah. some pounds. Do the anti-Daniel diet. Because if he gained weight through eating vegetables, then we should not eat vegetables, right? It, it stands to reason. No, I'm just saying. I, no, I'm saying I want to gain weight, yeah. Oh, you want to gain weight by eating vegetables? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll be eating uh, double stuff Oreos, and you eat vegetables, and we'll see who gains the most weight. Let's do it. And we'll, yeah, we'll trust <laughs> in the Lord. <laughs> so, so it, and then not only that, God doesn't just bless them in the sense that he gives them this sort of miraculous health in spite of them being vegans. Uh, I sound like I'm slamming on, on vegans. I don't mean that. But, uh, but God also blesses them with skill. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God's giving them real insight. Mm-hmm. And they actually, verse 20, it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, meaning Daniel and his friends, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Right. So these they stand out as wise men to advise the king in his court. Right. So they are the best of the best because God has blessed them. I, I find a lot of parallels in the Daniel stories with Joseph, right? There's a lot of parallels in terms of a person who's brought as a captive into the king's court. Yeah. Um, of course, J- Joseph's story takes a while to get there, but who God raises up and exalts through the interpretation of dreams. Right. And, and also... Daniel and Joseph both are two characters in the Bible that stand out as people that there's not like a clear sin that they ever commit. Mm. Joseph, you could argue his boastfulness to his brothers and sisters. It could be naive. I I don't know. But Daniel and Joseph both are, they pass every test. They're always upstanding. It's very interesting in that way. So there's a comparison, right? With, With Joseph, the Lord was with him. Again and again, we heard that. And with Daniel, God is still with them, even mm-hmm. in exile. Yeah. He does not forget his people. And maybe we're, we'll have the same reality happen, which is in Joseph's time, he said, you meant to for evil, God meant to for good. Could that be true in Daniel's time too? Right. And of course, we know looking back that it was true. So chapter one, we see a great story of faithfulness and an encouragement to us as well to stand firm when the world wants to assimilate us. Right. It's so easy to give in and to become like the world. And we can't do that. Chapter two, we see Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. This is a theme theme alert here, right? Neb- there's going to be a lot of dreams in this book and a lot of visions. Nebuchadnezzar, like, like the, the Pharaoh, has a dream and wants it interpreted. But he says he won't tell his wise men what the dream is. So you need to tell me the interpretation, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. Well, then no one can interpret it, right? And they actually say in verse 11 all his magicians and enchanters, they said, the thing the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So we need divine intervention here to be able to to do this. Correct. And the king (laughs) is so upset by that that he he commands that they all be killed. Them, their families, right? Just destroy their homes. Uh, It's a little bit over the top. Yeah. A little unfair. But God is using this in his divine power and his sovereignty, right, to orchestrate a situation where he can be revealed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, only gods can interpret. That's what that's what Joseph says when he sees Pharaoh, right? It's, it's the God. God has to give me the interpretation of it. Yeah. So Daniel hears about this. He goes back to his friends. They pray and he says, I need the interpretation of this. And God reveals it to him. And 
in verses 20 and 21, we have a really important passage here. Daniel praises God, and he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So especially that phrase of he removes kings and sets up kings, <laughs> this is going to be a theme throughout the whole book. And you do hear that refrain again and again and again in some form. Right. And again, it's about the kingdom and the power of God, Daniel is. So that kingdom idea is going to be really prevalent. So he gets the interpretation from God, <coughs> mm-hmm. and he even says to, 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 not Pharaoh, to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, mm-hmm. just like Joseph. And then he reveals the dream. So the dream is essentially there's a statue, gold head, silver right below that, then bronze on the thighs, and then iron on the calves, and then the very bottom of the feet are clay and iron mm-hmm. mixed together. And then a rock, not cut by human hands, rolls along, hits the feet, and the whole thing collapses, and the parts of it scatter everywhere. And right. that rock grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth. Mm-hmm. So very trippy, weird stuff. You could see why he might be bothered by this dream because it's <laughs> it's very strange. And so he basically goes on to explain this, right? That Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. Mm-hmm. The Babylonian Empire is the head of gold. That's right. the silver is the next empire, the Medes and Persians that are going to come. The bronze is the Greek empire that's going to come, starting with Alexander the Great. And then the iron is the Roman Empire, which will eventually become fractured. And that's why you have the mixture of iron and clay. So... He's re- referencing, and this will be something we'll see again and again, that he's looking at the next few centuries from history and laying out what's going to happen right. with incredible accuracy. And we'll see this even more later on. This one, you could argue that maybe that's not what it says, but verse 44 is so key, though. And in, those, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So there's going to be a kingdom set up. God's kingdom will come, and it will be established, and nothing will ever be able to prevail against it. Yeah. So that's what the whole book is really aiming at. Yeah. What's that kingdom going to look like? You know, I, I just want to look at verse uh, 37 really quick because it just makes me laugh. Um, Daniel's uh, talking to the king, and he says, You, O king, the king of kings. So it's like very exalting like a title for the king. And then he says... Uh, you, the king of kings, uh, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, <laughs> the power yeah. that might. So it's like, it, it almost seems like a jab from uh, from Daniel here to say like, yeah, you're king, but guess who's above you? Yeah, <laughs> so. you're king because someone has, yeah, given you this. So, and then Nebuchadnezzar's response is verse 47. When he hears the interpretation, he says, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, right. a revealer of mystery mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So he praises God, but he doesn't learn from this because chapter three, right. he I, assuming he goes, huh, head of gold. I like that. I like <laughs> being the gold guy. Let's make a huge gold statue, <laughs> right? Let's go full Donald Trump. Had to be something like that, right? Right. You got You got yeah. You have to bring in the Donald Trump reference here. I mean, I'm just oh, saying, gotcha. like that that kind of obsession with gold. Oh yeah. Huge gold statue worship. Um, this is this is a big statue, right? So uh, 60 cubits tall. Cubit is a foot and a half. So a 90-foot statue. That's big. That's big. So he b- builds this statue, sets it up, and he t- says, everyone has to worship this image of me, 
Yeah. Because I'm the gold guy and therefore you must bow to me. And he says, if you don't worship me, you go into the fiery furnace, which is key for, it's not, it's not a sauna, right? It's not like no, a, no, it's a burning like, fiery it's, furnace. It's a, you die. Yeah. You will be burned up and not survive. Yeah. So of course, when given this, what should, what should we call it? A government mandate? Uh, I, think, I think that's accurate. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the government says you must worship whatever we say you must worship and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get reported, right? Mm-hmm. They get flagged on on YouTube or, yeah. you know, blocked on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Um, they get brought before the king and he demands that they worship and they do not. And he, he threatens them, right? So he says, this is your test, right? When the, when the music sounds, you better bow down to the image. Verse 15, second half. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hmm. So Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten who he is and who God is, and God needs to teach him that. Right. And he's going to teach him in this chapter and in the next chapter, and Nebuchadnezzar will, will finally get it. But So what, what happens, of course, is they say, verse 17, right? Uh, if this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they know who God is. Mm-hmm. Their faith is sure. They say, this is who God is. He can and he will deliver us. Right. But, verse 18, but if not, if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods <laughs> or worship the golden image that you have set up. Yep. So I love that. It's They're not just saying, like, oh, we just believe we're just like really trusting by our own strength that God's going to do what he's going to do. And we're like naming and claiming this salvation from God. They're saying, no, this is who God is. We believe he will save us. But even if he doesn't, right. because he's not obligated to us, if he doesn't, we're still not going to do this. We're still not going <laughs> to yeah. worship someone else. Right? It's crazy, right? They, in other words, they, they probably did fear Nebuchadnezzar. That would make sense. He's got power. But they just feared God more. Right, exactly, and they're also, you know, they're submitting to what their con- the consequences of that lack of worship is, you know. Yeah. So they're choosing to worship a greater God, not a lesser King. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, so we see they the the furnace is heated up seven times more than usual, way it's overkill. Way overkill. I mean, he's just angry. How dare they defy me like this? He heats it up really hot. In fact, it's so hot, verse twenty-two, that the people who are throwing them into the fire get burned up themselves mm-hmm. it's that hot super hot and so they walk into the fiery furnace and they're just hanging out in there and then verse 24 very famous here but king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste he declared to his counselors did we not cast three men bound into the fire they answered and said to the king true o king he answered and said but i see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Mm. A son of the gods. So there's three, but there's also a fourth with them. And it's like, you could translate it, the son of God, the son of the gods. There's a, clearly a divine person. Right. Someone who's not merely human who is with them in the fire. Now, what was it about this person that he made him think that? I, I, I don't know. But he, he identifies him that way, a son of the gods. Mm-hmm. And so they bring them out. They're not singed. They don't even smell like fire or smoke. They're completely untouched. Yep. And so he, he praises, Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> understands and praises them for this, right? It says, he says, blessed be the God, verse 28, 
<coughs> of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. I love this. The, the king is realizing they trusted in God and they set aside my command, <laughs> which was to dishonor God, um, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Right. And then he says, everyone has to worship the God of Shadrach, and Abednego <laughs> or be torn limb from limb. Uh, <laughs> add that in there. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. <laughs> it's true, right? That's absolutely true. The, the evil king acknowledges his evil and the fact that they were right to defy his commands. So what happens when our government today mandates that if we don't listen, they're going to tear us from limb to limb? Yeah, we, we, I mean, it depends on, I guess, what they're mandating. If they're saying don't murder or something, they should probably obey that. Yeah. Um, but if it conflicts with the law of God, if it commands disobedience to God, we disobey. Uh, and great. we say, if I perish, I perish. Yeah. That's what we got. That's what we have to be ready to do. Mm. And of course, there's going to be, more, there's, there's always more and more pressure. It's not, the world is not as blunt as this now. It's not just big statue bow down. It's, it's more manipulative and careful and it's, Coming at us from different angles and all that, but the same spirit is still there. Well, I think I think you even see a slight progression in this story. You see, you know, obviously there's a, a big takeover, and Daniel and his friends get taken into captivity. But then, slowly, they're brought up, trained in certain ways. Their names are changed. Their diets are being, you know, forced upon them. And yeah, and then it's like the bigger things, like statue and life threatening stuff. You yeah, know, so and that's like, wait, what, why not just bow down? I mean, your name is one of the gods of the pantheon and <laughs> you know that you've you've been living in this society for so long and like you're an enlightened person like do you want to lose your job do you want to lose your life do you i mean i'm sure there's a 10 million pressures before this point and they've been carefully resisting them the whole way mm. and that's why they can stand yeah because we see that from day one they were aware and they would not bow right and here they don't bow either so we got to be we got to be thinking the same way be very very mindful well, there's more we can say, but we got to move on. Chapter four, we'll just kind of skim over this. Nebuchadnezzar is prideful still, and he receives a dream from from God. Oh, it, it starts off by so it's sort of Nebuchadnezzar narrating his own story in chapter four, mm-hmm. verse two. It says, "It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders the Most High has done for me." Verse three, "How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom." Is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So, yeah, the same kind of refrain that we're seeing throughout yep. God's kingdom, and essentially, he tells the story of how he had this dream. Daniel interpreted for him and said, "Essentially, you need to humble yourself, or God's going to destroy you, right? Make you like an animal." Mm-hmm. And he does not listen for over a, for a year, and God sends judgment to him, and Nebuchadnezzar becomes like an animal and crawls around in the fields and his nails grow long like birds and yep. and he, he loses his mind or he becomes like an animal. Yep. God God can take the mighty and make them into nothing. Mm. And then he repents. He turns to God and he repents. And the repeated refrain throughout this, that's in verse 17, it's in verse um, 25, it's in verse 32 is that the the most high rules the kingdom of kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Right. The so that's God. that's the point of this whole passage. So Nebuchadnezzar repents and he's restored and he glorifies God. Right. Verse thirty four. He prays for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Mm. 
And he goes on, right? But that's the idea is God is supreme. He raises up kings. He takes them down. And so I'm going to praise him. I'm going to serve him and worship him. So, and then, and he ends by saying, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. So it's an amazing story that we could, I mean, there's a lot more detail there, but it just, again, that the power God has to take the most powerful man in the world history up to this point, I think we could safely say that, to humble him, to take him out of his kingdom and to restore him. And um, God can do that with any kingdom. Hmm. You don't fear people like that. You don't fear someone who God can turn into an animal overnight. Right. You know, so Nebuchadnezzar has pride and he, and he falls, but he's restored. And then chapter five, Belshazzar, the next king, has pride and he falls and is not restored. Right. So his pride, so what happens is he's having a party and he's rejoicing, you know, brings out the vessels of the temple to drink from them and to dishonor God. And God sends judgment in the form of a hand writing on a wall. And everyone's freaking out because they're wondering what, who put acid in the wine glasses, you know, <laughs> like what is happening? And, and they have Daniel come in and interpret. And he essentially says, you're going you're gonna to fall tonight right. yeah. and he does not repent and that's what happens right verse 30 that very night belshazzar the chaldean king was killed and darius the mede received the kingdom so darius comes in and reigns instead mm. you, uh... chapter six is reminiscent of chapter three it's like the same situation right this time instead of hananiah azariah and mishael it's daniel versus the king mm-hmm. but daniel is trapped in the in this command of you can't pray to any other god except for darius and so daniel of course disobeys i love that he disobeys openly right like verse 10 like this is this is amazing this is this is a leader right he's verse 10 when daniel knew the document had been signed forbidding prayer he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward jerusalem he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks (laughs) before his god as he'd done previously he does not change his habit he does it publicly right it's really cool um, and so he, of course, he receives the punishment of being thrown into the lion's den. Huh. And the king is really bothered by this because he was tricked into this decree. The enemies of Daniel knew this would, would lead to his destruction, and Darius didn't think of it. And so he has to follow through on this because he made this law, right. puts him in the lion's den, and he's sleepless all night. Mm-hmm. And he comes to, to the lion's den, opens it up, and he calls out and says, has your God whom you serve continually saved you? Has he preserved your life? And of course, Daniel says he has. And um, yeah, and, and he's, he's unharmed completely. Yeah. And it ends with Darius praising God in this way, verse 26, for he is the living God enduring forever. This is kind of getting repetitive, right? His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his mm-hmm. dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So again and again, kings are acknowledging that it's not them who are in control; it's Yahweh, right? The king of king of the Jews. Can you can you imagine? Like obviously, these kings like, do some pretty horrible things, at least culturally, from what we're looking at. You know, yeah. like I'd have a king threatening to tear off limbs and stuff like that. But could you imagine a world leader today, the president of the United States, you know, saying something like that? Saying yeah. the words that God is a living God, He'll endure forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. You know, <laughs> like and actually meaning it. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Can't think of it. <laughs> so. I know. And these these are, 
you know, most every every um, I said pastor, every president we've had has uh, professed to be a Christian right. or Catholic, and yet that still would not come out of their lips, you know. Yeah. And these people are anti-God, right, and pro their own pantheon, and right. yet God is working in them to proclaim that. So, it, so now we, so that that was the easy part, and now <laughs> oh wait, we have no time left. <laughs> that's, that's all we got time for today. So, uh, no, the last half, we'll just go through this really quickly, but the last half is about the visions of Daniel. Right. And there's so much here. It's so complicated. There's, yeah, we could spend forever on this. But D- chapter seven, Daniel has this dream, and there's a series of animals. And this is really, really important because these series of animals are a, a picture of, as we said, the next few hundred years, what's going to happen in terms of world kingdoms. Um, so we see. Uh, a series of animals. First, there's a lion with wings, which was a symbol of the Babylonians. Then we have a bear with three ribs in its mouth. That's the, the Medo-Persian Empire. Then we have a leopard with wings. That's the Greek Empire. And then a terrifying beast that comes after, which is probably a picture of the, the Roman Empire. So there's one after the other that comes that comes in, in succession. And really, Daniel lays out perfectly how the world history is going to progress for the next several hundred years. Mm. It's an amazing, it's amazing thing that he does. And people have studied this and seen this. But again, the important thing is we see, the most important thing is we see the Ancient of Days in verse 9. So he looks up and he sees the Ancient of Days. So establishing a a kingdom, a dominion that is over all of these kingdoms. And in verse 3, he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So in your Bible, you should definitely underline that, circle it, mm-hmm. put arrows to it, whatever. I mean, that's a huge, huge uh, phrase, son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So that language at the end is the language that's been used of Yahweh throughout the book. And the Son of Man is going to have that kind of dominion. Mm. So he's he's not God, at least it seems that way, right? Ancient of Days is in one phrase, Son of Man. So there's some distinction, but yet he has the same rule and reign. Right. So we're looking at a clear picture of the second person of the Trinity, right? right. This is a clear you know picture of, of who Christ will be. So there's this, ex- this amazing uh, messianic prophecy. And then in chapter 8, there's another vision that's given where there's a, a ram, which sort of represents the Medes and the Persians, mm-hmm. and then a, followed by a goat, who represents Greece. And there's a there's a focus throughout on the, on the horns. Horns usually stand for kings, so we can kind of infer these are these are different rulers. But the the king, so the the horn, is split into different horns. So it's a very it's a very strange right, it's a very strange thing that's happening here. Um, but he goes on to explain what's happening. So in verse 20, th- this is amazing. So this again, this is happening before any of these events happen in world history. Mm-hmm. At, this is, this is, an angel comes and explains to him what he's seen. An angel by the name of Gabriel, by the way. Um, yep. Not too many named angels. That one's going to be important later on. Right. But he says this, As for the ram you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of, the, of Media and Persia. So we know that they come along after Babylon, right? I mean, Daniel's kind of living through that. And the goat is the king of Greece. So he's predicting that 
Greece is going to take over the empire of the Persians right. someday, which it's an amazing prediction because that comes true. Right. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So the great horn, that would be Alexander the Great who conquers the world mm -hmm. right? In, the, in a few years. I mean, he conquers the world by the time he's 33. Right. Incredible uh, conqueror. As for that horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So in other words, there's going to be a conquering Greece, a Grecian king, Greek king, who's going to die, and four kings will take his place. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what happened, right? The, yeah, his army was, his kingdom was divided between his four generals, right? So there was the Ptolemies, the Seleucids, the Thracians, and the Macedonians, if I'm remembering correctly. That splits, that's the split of those kingdoms. And that leads actually to, so we see, if we see throughout this, um, prophecies of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who's going to be uh, of the Seleucids, I believe. And he's, he's going to do terrible abominations in the temple and be a threat to the people of, of Israel, but he will be conquered. Hmm. He will be, I mean, sort of a, a picture in this, this time of what we would think of as the beast of Revelation, right? This final, this, this really destructive figure in Revelation. So he's laying out, I mean, if you walk through what happens between Daniel and the coming of Christ, it, this, is, this lays it out in detail. Incredible prophecies here. And then, again, we, we can't go into all of it, but chapter 9, Daniel has an incredible prayer where he reflects on the fact that Jeremiah prophesied 70 years of, of exile. Right. And he's saying, you know, this is coming, this is coming close to... to being completed, and he's, so he's praying to God, and he's confessing the sins of the people, and um, and and he has another prophecy here. So Gabriel comes again and brings him comfort, and he actually gives him a prophecy of seventy weeks, mm. seventy weeks, which again is a lot of stuff to get into. But I mean, look at just you know from our Christian perspective, look, listen to what he's saying, and what does it sound like? Verse twenty-four of chapter nine. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Yeah, that sounds like the forgiveness of sins, right. maybe an atoning sacrifice, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Hmm. So these seventy weeks are really important, and they were understood by the Jewish people as leading up to the coming of the Messiah. So the first sixty-nine weeks. And there's one final week mentioned here that's refers to the end of the end of time. Right. And so, and and you even have right in verse 26 that an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So anointed one is the word Messiah, Mashiach. Mm -hmm. So Messiah will come and be cut off. So there's a picture of coming Messiah and his redemptive work in this section. Mm. So an, an incredible prophecy there as well. And in fact, people have done math in terms of so a week meaning not seven days but a week could refer to seven years hmm. so seven times right multiplied by those 70 to, to see the time frame leads i mean very accurately to the arrival of jesus christ onto the scene hmm. so incredible and again we can get all the math and like well when did the prophecy happen and all that but it's uh it's pretty clear that within that time frame the messiah is going to come and he's going to atone for sin and we, so we have that prophecy in Daniel. The last three chapters is a final vision, very confusing, very debated. I will say <laughs> this, though, just as some comfort 
Chapter 12, verse 8, Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. <laughs> That's comforting to me. Like he's, he's wrestling with it. He's really trying to understand. He can't. I'm not saying that you can't understand this because we do have the Holy Spirit. We have the context of the rest of Scripture. There are a lot of things that are brought to bear on this, but it's very difficult. It's very difficult. One, one note, though, before we end on this section, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12 speaks to the final resurrection, right? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn away turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Daniel sees clearly in this section, he's seeing a vision of the end, right. and he's looking to that end, and he's rejoicing in the God whose kingdom is established forever yeah. and who is victorious. Yeah, amen, amen. Well, how does the good news of Jesus, how does the New Testament get fulfilled? We've already talked about some of them, obviously. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to not touch yeah. on it while you're there. So yeah. obviously that fourth in the fire with them, the one who's like the son of the gods, right? Yeah. That son is is then kind of tied to the son of man, exactly. mentioned later. Yeah. So son of God, son of man, that is the pre-incarnate Christ mm-hmm. with his people in suffering and delivering them through the suffering. The, the mention of the Son of Man, Jesus' most common title for himself in the New Testament is not Son of God, it's not Messiah. He almost never uses those kinds of language. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. Yeah. Son of Man. And that is a title from Daniel and from Ezekiel. Hmm. So we saw that title in Ezekiel, but it's it's most directly connected to Daniel, most right. scholars believe. So the Son of Man who will come, who is not just a human, because that's what it sounds like. He's just saying, I'm human. It refers to one who is going to reign forever, right. the Messiah. And then, of course, the 70 weeks pointing to the coming of Christ uh, and the fact that there's going to be one who's cut off from his people. So Christ is that Messiah right. who atones for sin, and we understand how that happens. Uh, Daniel points to a lot of things. He doesn't explain how that will happen, and mm-hmm. we see that revelation through Jesus Christ. Yeah, amazing. And amazing just to look at prophecy and have him be fulfilled over the course of history. That's Absolutely. awesome. And the best prophecy of all is Jesus coming and atoning for our sins. Amen. So, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. That's all we got today. We'll see you next week.